So we're going to begin a new series this morning that uh, I've titled Beauty for Ashes. And uh, that's based upon uh, a well-known portion of scripture uh, from Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, Jesus chose to use that scripture to begin his ministry after his baptism, after the temptation, he went to his home church or synagogue in Nazareth. And when they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, he found the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those that were bound, to heal the brokenhearted, to give the recovery of sight to the blind. He stopped short of reading what Isaiah said would be the nature and the ministry of this one who would come as the sovereign Lord, that he would give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes. Ashes are a symbol of uh, loss, a symbol of sorrow, a symbol of pain. Um, and I want to talk to you in this series about how God takes the burn, crash and burn experiences of our life, takes, takes the, the, the places of our lowest point and makes something beautiful out of it. That God, out of the lowest places of our life, can make something absolutely beautiful. Can we just pray one more time this morning? Father, I ask your anointing and blessing upon the series as we begin it, would you let your will be accomplished? Would you speak to the hearts of your children this morning? And if there's anyone that's come among us this morning that is not in a relationship with you, I pray that before we finish speaking this morning that they will discover just how beautiful you are and how it's your will to make all things beautiful in time. And we said together, amen. Amen. The, the recent events are on everybody's mind in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, if you don't believe in demonic oppression or, or being demonized, you know, it, what, what a classic example of something that was just so absolutely evil. I don't know, some of you may have seen video footage uh, this week, earlier in the week, uh, in the city of Philadelphia, a 10-year-old girl walking down the street with, I think, about her four-year-old brother, was, was, uh, a, there was an attempted abduction. A man left his car door open. He picked up this 10-year-old child in an attempt to put her in, into the car. And uh, she bit him on the hand, and the little guy was screaming as loud as he could. He got frightened, and I'm happy to report that he was, uh, he was arrested and uh, he's now in jail. Um, a 15-year-old girl, I heard this on the radio, was, was being mauled by the family pit bull, the, the second occurrence that took place with another family member of the same pit bull. Uh, she was being mauled. The frantic 911 call alerted the police. The police came. Uh, the dog uh, attempted to attack the police officer. The dog was shot and killed. Could you put, put up the first picture for, for me this morning, please? Uh, this is a photograph. There you go. Of uh, Charler Nash, a middle-aged, pleasant 
uh, looking woman, uh, lives in Connecticut, just right across the sound uh, with her daughter, Brianna. Uh, this, is, this is Charla Nash before she was viciously attacked by her friend's 200-pound chimpanzee named Travis. You might remember the story a couple of years ago. The frantic 911 call in this occasion really speaks for what was taking place. Her friend who owned this chimpanzee was saying, the chimpanzee is killing my friend. He was, he was decimating her face. He ate her nose, her lips, her ears, her eyes, and her, both her hands. That she survived the very attack was, was a miracle. Uh, you can put that second picture up. This is what she looked like a little bit after the attack. That is the same woman, believe it or not. And for the next two years, she lived as the lady behind a veil because of the frightening appearance that she gave, but she lost her sight. She could only breathe through a tube. She, she wasn't able to eat solid food anymore. Her speech was, was unintelligible as a result of this vicious attack. But in November of this past year, she received what, what some might suppose was, was a real blessing. Uh, she was successfully received a face transplant. And for the first time in two years, she was able to breathe through her nose. She was able to eat solid food. Her daughter Brianna said this, a new hope has sparked. Hope has replaced hopelessness. I can't tell you how many times I've repeated that thought about how important hope is over the last several weeks and months. Uh, Hope, there's a lot of things we can live without, but we cannot live without hope. Hope is so vital to our, to our life, to our survival. And uh, I want to just talk to you for a few minutes about another vicious attack that I see kind of a parallel to it in a spiritual sense. It's uh, not a wild beast, but it is a beast. It's of a demonic nature. And it was an attack against one of the closest of the Lord's disciples. In fact, on this occasion, there was a, a multi-pronged effort to destroy the work of God and to, and to destroy any future kingdom building. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter was Satan's strategy, was the demonic wisdom of hell in this effort to destroy the kingdom of God. On this night, Peter would become the targeted interest of the demonic strategy against him and against the other disciples to mar his identity, to decimate his, his ability to hear and his ability to speak and his ability to live this message of hope. Without doubt, I believe that this was the darkest day in Peter's life. Yet all this was happening according to the, the foreknowledge of Jesus. He had, he had told them what was about to take place. And in the midst of that word of warning, he gives them a word of hope. If only they can hear that word of hope. If only they had an ear to hear all the words 
of Jesus. If they could hear the word of Jesus about hope above the commotion and above the fray and above the battle. You know, Peter had such an amazing potential. From the very beginning of his call to follow Jesus and to become a fisher of men, he immediately forsook the security of his livelihood. Now, that that took a measure of faith to to, to walk in the unknown and, and and to be dependent now upon God for the supply of all your needs. Peter showed a tremendous amount of insight and a tremendous amount of discernment when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And the disciples responded to what was the, the talk of the day. But Jesus pressed them and said, but who do you, what's your opinion? What, what do you venture about as to who I am? And Peter was the only one that spoke up, but he said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you, you know, you are blessed because of what you have come to know because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, the strategies and the wiles and the schemes of the devil are not going to succeed against my church. What comforting words. The church has, 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 has been shielded under the comfort of those words. Listen, there was a church in the wilderness that was overcome by Satan. Generation after generation was overcome by the wiles of the devil. But here, Jesus said that the gates of hell, comforting words, but on this night, from all outward appearances, come on, let's be honest, from all outward appearances, It looked like the strategies of of Satan were working, that the gates of hell were prevailing against the scattered disciples, frightened and intimidated. They fled each man for their own self. Such encouraging words. That night, Judas took a, a rope and he hung himself. I have no doubt that Satan's design and his desire was to do the same for Peter, to make his failure so miserable, to make him so, so utterly despairing and hopeless and, and helpless under the midst of his own guilt and shame that he would do the same, take a rope and hang himself. How very ironic that just a couple of hours before, Peter made the bold confession when Jesus said, tonight all of you will forsake me. And Peter said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody else may forsake you, but not me. I'm not going to, I'm ready to die for you. That's what Peter said. And you know what? That was, that was a reasonable conclusion that, that Peter was making. It, it was not unreasonable for him to say that. I mean, who else was as bold as Peter? Who else had the kind of measure of faith that that this man Peter had? He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah. He heard the audible voice of God say, this is my beloved son. How could Peter fail? He was the plan. How could Peter fail? Jesus had spent three years of pouring himself, his love and his wisdom into raising Peter up as a future leader of the church. How could he fail? But I believe that this attack in many ways corresponded to the attack against this woman by the name of Nash. And it left Peter marred and disfigured, broken, 
dismayed. You know what? We need more than a new face. We need, we, need, we need more than a team of doctors working 20 hours to put a, a new face on our humanity. We need a new heart. We need the transplant, not of a new face, but of a new heart. So let's take a little closer look at this scenario that I kind of describe as, as, as crash and burn, and, and what's left is the ashes in a scenario like this. But in the midst of it, there's a glimmer of hope, a ray of hope that it's not going to be final. If only Peter had an ear to hear what Jesus was saying. You know, I love that verse of scripture. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says that God will make all things beautiful in time. He will make all things beautiful in time, but who can fathom, it says, what man can fathom all that God is doing from beginning to end? In other words, there's two elements to what God is doing. He makes all things beautiful, yes, but there's both a time element and there's also a mysterious element to it. Who can understand? Who can fathom all that God is doing when God is doing it? I don't know if this is a biblical statement. In fact, I know it's not a biblical statement, but I know it's a biblical principle. It ain't over till it's over. Judge nothing before the time. And as long as there was a ray of hope in the midst of the words that Jesus spoke that we're going to look at in just a moment, as long as there was that hope, there was also the possibility that with God, our lowest point can be God's highest possibility. So here is Jesus. We're going to look at Luke 22. He's giving his disciples, and in particular, he's warning all of his disciples about what's going to take place. But in particular, he's focusing in on Peter as the head and spokesman of the, the rest of the group. For three years, he's been preparing them for this night. And to give you just a little bit of context, this is what Jesus said to them at the Last Supper or the Passover meal. Right before they went out and walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what Jesus said to them. Simon, he says, Simon. He, the repetition of the word. We've seen this before. Mary, Mary, Martha, Martha. It, it, it is a, it is a, a phrase of, of endearment. It's a phrase of affection and of caring to repeat someone's name like this. And then there's that little word, once again, behold. How many times it comes up for us as we speak, behold. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, heads up on this. What I'm about to say, this is important. I really want you to pay attention. Behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Now, we don't understand that illustration. Maybe better for us would be like, Satan wants to put you through a meat grinder. He wants to make minced meat out of you. He wants to destroy your life. But... And thank God for that little word there, right there. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brethren. Please notice what it does not say. It does not say, and if you turn again, but rather when you turn again, which was the ray of hope in the midst of that, Jesus says, what you will come to learn is that you will be able to give strength to your brothers. But he, that is Peter, said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to both go to prison and death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, 
The rooster will not crow tonight, today, until you have denied three times that you know me. Peter, Satan wants to destroy you. The temptations of Satan are to destroy. But God allows you to be tested so that you might be refined and that you might be perfected. It's not if you are returned to me, but when you return to me. Strengthen your brethren. For three years, Jesus has been trying to teach Peter, keep your eyes on me. Come on, keep your eyes on me. Look at me, the author and the finisher of your faith. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And you you know the, the, the genuineness of faith, the greatness of faith is the object upon which our faith is based. And if Jesus is the object of our faith, then our faith will be strong in Christ. Peter, take this word with you into the battle. Peter, take this word of hope with you into the fray. Peter, remember my words. Hide them in your heart. On March 24th, uh, just a a few uh, months ago, uh, there was a gathering at the National Mall in D.C. Uh, Between 10 and 20,000 atheists gathered together as a political statement. They were were trying to send a message to the politicians that they are a force that has to be reckoned with. I've got a quote from one of the organizers, one of the leaders of the, of, of, of the rally. I want you to listen to what he said. It's very interesting. He says, he says, this is really encouraging, speaking about this turnout. It makes me think that there is hope for a different kind of future. Religion has dominated human history, but maybe it's time for a new direction. When I read that, I, I, I gasped. And I said to myself, hope for a different kind of future? What an ironic choice of words. Hope for a different kind. How could you have hope for a future without God? Without God, there is no hope. That's that's what many of us were like before Christ came into our life. We were without God and without hope in this world. But to know God is to know hope. But know God is no hope. I want you to think about this with me this morning. As Satan began to do his worst, God began to display his best. The crucifixion of the Son of God was man's worst, was Satan's worst, but was also God's best in revealing his heart and revealing his justice and revealing his love and his mercy in a, in a, in a way that would have never been known any other way than through the cross. Man's extremity became God's possibility. In the Garden of Gethsemane that night, Jesus was arrested, put in, bound on hand and foot, put in chains. He was brought in trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. They brought in witnesses to accuse him, but two witnesses could not even agree as to an accusation against them until two came forward and said, we heard this man say, destroy this temple and in three days he will raise it up. In utter frustration, Caiaphas, the high priest, 
put Jesus under a mandatory oath and said, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? And when Jesus said, I am, the high priest ripped his clothes and said, he's worthy of death. Now we pick up in the story. Verse, 27, verse 67, Matthew 26, then they spit in his face. They spit in his face. Have you ever had anybody spit in your face? It doesn't hurt but it is humiliating. They spit in his face and they struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out into the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath. He swore, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you were one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I, 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 can't, I can't express the emotion in this next sentence. And he, Peter, went out and he wept bitterly. Bitter tears in the guilt and condemnation of letting Jesus down when Jesus needed him the most feeling like an utter failure, disillusioned, despaired, disappointed. Without a doubt, this was the worst moment in Peter's life. This was the lowest. If if there's anything that can be described as crash crash and burn, it's this right here. This man right now, his life is at the lowest point it's ever been. The whole question of Peter's survival is at stake here. The whole peril of the church is at risk. Fear and dread has replaced courage and boldness as another one bites the dust. But Peter remembered the word about the rooster. Would Peter also remember the word about when you return to me, strengthen your brethren? Is it possible? Can there be life after failure when you've hit rock bottom? Is it possible to make a comeback? Oh, This is the gospel, beloved. There is life after failure. When we've come to that place of of crash and burn, there's still that ray of hope that when you return, you will strengthen your brethren because he gives beauty for ashes, because he comforts those that weep in Zion. And Peter's bitter tears were so much different than the sorrow that Judas experienced when he went out and he hung himself. It's in this experience that Peter's complete failure, that he learns more in this moment of his complete failure than in all of his previous successes, more than he learned of walking on water, more than he learned of of seeing Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. In his brokenness, he learned humility. And in his brokenness, he discovered that the Lord's unconditional love 
would not let him go. That there was a word of hope in the midst of that. That when you are returned to me, you will strengthen your brethren. He learned something about trials and something about temptation. Yeah, Satan is is seeking whom he may devour, but I can cast all of my cares upon him because I know this about my Jesus. He cares for me. This is what Peter learned. And Peter learned mostly something very important about hope, which is what I want to look at for just a few more minutes this morning before we close. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I could tell you about mercy, Peter is going to tell us. He says, For in his great mercy he has given us new birth, into a living hope. We don't just have a little ray of hope. We have a living hope. We have a hope that is divine in nature from the God of hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to get what Peter's doing here. He's talking about forward thinking. That's what hope is all about. Hope is all about forward thinking. In this, he says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In fact, the entire first letter of Peter, five chapters, is devoted or dedicated to what Peter learned out of the experience of trials and temptations and afflictions to rejoice even in the midst of it. Not that we're rejoicing in the trial, but in the, in, in, in the anticipation of what's going to be discovered as a result of coming through that trial. And so he says in verse 7, these have come to your faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that it may be proven genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Beloved, this is not only the voice of good theology, this is the voice of experience. This is the voice of somebody who's been there and done that and who can say that, you know what, in the midst of trials and afflictions, we can have a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. This is forward thinking. Not that the trial itself brings us joy, but that the anticipation of what will come as a result of being refined like like gold in the fire. Peter knew experientially that Satan was a wild beast who wanted to decimate and to devour his ability to hear, speak, and, 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 and to do the works of God. But he also discovered the greatness of Christ. You know, the author of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was also forward in his thinking, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the agony of the cross. There was nothing pleasant about the cross. The cross was, was cruel, and it was, and it was agonizing, and it was, it was everything physically, but even beyond that, spiritually, what our, what our minds cannot fully comprehend, but for the joy set before him. What was that joy set before him? Those of us that are sitting and standing in this room right now, we were the joy that was set before him, and so he endured the cross in his forward thinking. I tell you what, I can tell you a lot of things this morning in closing about 
how cool Peter became, how that God made beauty out of the ashes of his broken life. I can tell you about the day of Pentecost, how he spoke in 3,000 souls were saved, or how in Acts chapter 3, that when he walked into the by the beautiful gate, there was a man who was lame and he pulls him up by the hand and says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, and the miracles of even raising Dorcas from the dead, great things that God did through him. But, but I, what I want you to know this morning is this, that you could search the scriptures after Peter's fall. There's not one time, there is not even the slightest hint that when Jesus appeared to the disciples and there were many occasions over the next 40 days after the resurrection that Jesus came and spoke with his disciples and talked to them about the kingdom. There's not even the slightest hint that Jesus brought up Peter's failure. Not once did Jesus say, you know, you really let me down. You really hurt me when I needed you the most. There was not one single time that Jesus brought up Peter's great fall. And you know what? Every single one of us are just like Peter with faults and flaws and in desperate need of restoration, in desperate need of a new heart and a new hope and a new life. God takes the messes that we make and he makes masterpieces out of them. God takes our crash and burn experiences and what's left is is. is the ashes, and out of the ashes, he raises up men and women with purpose and with vision and with a desire to do the works of God. What I want you to know is simply this, that he creates beauty out of the ashes of our failures. He creates beauty out of the ashes of our failures. On uh, May 27th, uh, just a couple of months ago, the Golden Gate Bridge uh, celebrated its 75th anniversary. It was begun on January 5th, 1933. It took four years to complete. It was finished on May 27, 1937. And uh, it took, listen, uh, 80,000 tons of steel to create this this spans that's considered to be, you know, a, a, an engineering marvel. You know, a span of 1.7 miles between San Francisco and Marion County. And uh, it's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, 60,000 strands of wire, which stretched end to end would be about 80,000 miles. 600,000 rivets in each of the towers that were built. Amazing accomplishment, 83,000 tons, 80,000 miles of wires. Impressive, right? Well, more impressive still was the gap that was bridged between a holy God and sinful people like us. That gap was made by two boards and three nails and the cross paid for Peter's failures, paid for our failures. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that makes beauty out of the ashes. Peter said it like this, Christ suffered for our sins, the just for the, unsi- the, the, just for the unjust. He died that he might bring us safely unto God. This morning, I want you to know very simply this, is that 
you may have failures in your life. You may have some things that you're disappointed in, some things that, 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 that have been devastating to you, crash and burn experiences. But out of those crash and burn experiences, the God whom, who loves us is able to take out of those ashes and make something beautiful. If we would put our trust in him, I want you to know what Peter knows. I want you to know that Peter knows that he is loved unconditionally. That when you put your trust in him, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you indeed make all things beautiful in time. That you take these ashes of the messes that we've made and you make something meaningful, something purposeful out of it. There is, there is such cause for hope this morning. I pray this morning that the God of hope, who was working according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God in man's extremities, working God's possibilities, that you would work mightily in this place this morning, that there would be a ray of hope, a glimmer of hope in each and every one of us today that no matter what trial we're facing right now, that no matter how severe the testing may be, that you are faithful to intercede, that you're faithful to pray, and it's on the basis of your great faithfulness that we could say that you are able to save unto the uttermost everyone that comes unto God by you. We thank you this morning. And into your hands, Lord, we we commend ourselves. We commend one another. And we thank you that out of Peter's experience, he could strengthen the brethren. And so we rejoice with you this morning. 